Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We are nearing the end of our series from Hebrews entitled White Knuckle Faith. By now... I hope that you know that the writer of Hebrews was writing to some Jewish Christians who were pretty much fed up with Christianity, fed up with Christian faith. And for various reasons, they were thinking about checking out on it. They were thinking about giving it up and going back to whatever it was they used to have or maybe something totally different from what they ever had. And so this writer is writing 13 chapters, doing everything he can to persuade his readers to hold tight to their Christian faith with white-knuckled grips and not let it go. In chapter 11, that wonderful Hall of Fame of Faith, he brings to the stage hero after hero after hero, and in doing so says to his readers, look, all of the people that you consider heroes throughout history, they uh, endured hardships, they experienced strife, and yet they clung to their Faith, they did not give it up. And like them, you also should hold on to your faith. And on the heels of that wonderful chapter, we find Hebrews chapter 12, in which the writer of Hebrews starts off uh, describing the Christian faith like a marathon race, a 26-mile deep-to-the-gut race. He says that's what the Christian life is like. And then... Beginning with verse 4, he basically answers a question. And that question is this. What is the one thing above any other thing that usually makes your faith stronger? What is the one thing above virtually any other thing that will make your faith stronger? We're going to find out. Look with me beginning with verse 4 of chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let me just stop right there and paraphrase that. You know what he's saying there? It could be worse. I always hate it when people tell me that when I'm going through a struggle, but that's exactly what he is saying. Things could be a lot worse. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Verse 5, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, and this is a quote from Proverbs, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those, the one he loves, and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, 
It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Here in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews likens the Christian life to a Greek marathon. A marathon you recall, is a 26-mile race. Half marathon, logically, is a 13-mile race. Either one of them are pretty much ungodly insofar as I'm concerned. I don't think God ever wanted us to run a 26- or a 13-mile marathon. It's just beyond what I think God would want us to do. But... The writer of Hebrews says that the Christian life is like running a marathon. Preparation for running a marathon takes years, and it takes barrels of discipline. And since Christian faith is so much like a marathon, and since so many of the readers of this original letter were thinking of quitting the race and giving up because of the hardships they are facing in life, the writer of Hebrews writes to them, And basically, he says, as he has said from verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way to this point, don't give up, don't quit, the finish line is within your sight. The writer of Hebrews states that if we give up our faith because of our hardships, then we are giving up the very thing that makes us strong because hard times are the tools God uses to make our faith stronger. Now, uh, I want to stop right here for the sake of those of you who might be here who are struggling with something. I don't know who you are, but I do know this. I know that everybody who's been on this earth long enough is either about to go into a crisis, in a crisis, or has just come out of one. And so once we have had enough years on the mileage of our lives, we all will know what crisis is. We will know what struggles are. We will know what hardships uh, are like, what they feel like, what they smell like, what they taste like. And if you're anything like me, which I really hope you're not, when I'm in a hardship, there are three things that I absolutely cannot stand for people to do. And all three of them are things that are good for me but I don't like them when I'm in the middle of a crisis. First of all, I don't like people spouting Bible verses to me when I'm in the middle of a crisis. I know, you're looking at me like, a pastor ought not to say things like that. But I'm going to tell you right now, when I'm in the middle of a crisis, the last thing I want is somebody spouting off a Bible verse. Even though... Yes, I believe that verse is God's word. And yes, it's, it's the one thing that I need above virtually any other thing. But I don't want anybody spouting Bible verses to me. The second thing that I don't like people doing whenever I'm in the middle of a crisis is coming up to me and saying, well, you know, Jimmy, it could be a whole lot worse. There are a lot of people who are in a whole lot worse shape than what you are. I just pretty much hate folks like that. And then the third thing that I don't like people telling me when I'm in the middle of the crisis is them telling me, well, you know, this hardship that you're going through is the very thing that's going to make you strong. Now, keep in mind, and I want you to remember, 
all three of those things are true. And all three of those things, God's Word, that there's always somebody or almost always somebody worse off than me, and that God uses these trials to make me... So all three of those things are rock-solid true. But for those of you who are going through a crisis and you're going to hear this sermon and it's going to irritate you a bit, I sympathize with you with everything I've got. And yet, to use the Popeye analogy again, when I was young... The very spinach that I could not stand to taste was one of the best things that I could have eaten for me. And so the title of this message is The Very Thing That Makes You Strong. Running from the very thing that makes you strong. And in this passage of Scripture, there are three questions that this writer presents and answers that I think are important for those of us who either are about to, are in the middle of, or just coming out of a major struggle. The first question is this, why does God discipline us? Why does God discipline us? Now, you could come up and I could come up with a number of answers to that question, but in this passage of Scripture, there are two main answers that the writer of Hebrews presents to his readers and to us. The first one is this, God disciplines us because He loves us. He says in verse number 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son or daughter, his child. God disciplines us because he loves us. I can't help, I cannot help it, but when I read this and I think about the fact that God disciplines us because he loves us, I go back in my childhood to a time my dad, who never abused any of us kids, but he was a believer, a strong believer in corporal punishment. I mean to the point, there were a few times he got so angry at something my brother Tim and I did that he sent us out to the woods to get our own switch. And it better be a big one too. But there were times when we got corporal punishment. And I don't know... What class it was that my parents and your parents went to where they taught them what I'm about to say to you that you already know what I'm about to say to you. I think it was Whooping 101 that they, they attended. Whooping 101 they attended in which the teacher somewhere along the way said to them, now before you, before you paddle your child, you must look them in the eye and say something like this. This is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. And I, I want you to know that I'm doing this only because I love you. Now, I know they learned that because that's what my dad said. And I'll have to tell you that in the middle of the spanking, I never believed it. To this day, I'm skeptical about it, and yet I believe my dad because he told us the truth as we were growing up. And the same thing is what God is telling us. I discipline you literally because I love you. Now think about this. 
Think about what would happen to us if when we sin or when we are about to sin or when we are backing off from doing something that we ought to be doing that's right, what if God just sat there ignoring our behavior and doing absolutely nothing? Imagine if your parents and my parents didn't stop us when we were about to cross a busy road or about to stick our hand on some hot coals in a campfire, or if they didn't stop us when we were in the kitchen after uh, our moms took the green beans off the oven top and we were about to stick our hand on there on top of the oven top just to see what it would feel like. Imagine if our parents stood back and did absolutely nothing. You know what it would probably mean? It would probably mean that they cared nothing about us. It would probably mean that they had no concern for us. It would probably mean that they weren't the least bit interested in our welfare. In the same way, without God's intervention, life would be a hopeless, terrible situation. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul describes what it would be like for a person to continue on and on in sin to the point that God finally decided to step back and do nothing. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, he says, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Ladies and gentlemen, when you and I sin, or when we are about to sin, or if there is something we ought to do that we're shying away from doing, listen to this, the worst thing God could do is nothing. The worst thing God could do is let us continue to do the destructive thing that we are on our way to doing. In fact, I think about, uh, when I think about this, I think about C.S. Lewis, the Oxford theologian in England of last century. When he was thinking about what hell would be like, he concluded that hell... What really hell is like, C.S. Lewis said, is that in hell, God continues to let people do what they continue to do for happiness, and yet it never ever for an eternity satisfies their happiness, so they're continually hungry for what they can never get. The, The worst thing that God could do is to step back and absolutely do nothing. In fact, when we are sinning and God is angry, but He doesn't intervene to keep us from sinning, we're under God's wrath and under God's punishment. The Lord disciplines those He loves. He disciplines us for our good. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 are quoted here in verse numbers 5 and 6, where He says, My son, do not take light the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those He loves. Why does God discipline us? Because He loves us. And secondly, why does He discipline us? Because God wants better things for us. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God disciplines us because He loves us and He disciplines us because He wants better things for us. And then the second question that the writer of Hebrews asks And answers is this, how does God discipline us? We know why He does, but how does He discipline us? And the writer of Hebrews here tells us that God disciplines us largely through our circumstances. 
through our situations. Now, there are all kinds of life situations. They can be relationship strains. They can be health issues. They can be the death of a loved one. They can be financial loss or job loss or the loss of possessions. They can be a loss of opportunities. They can be a, 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 a rebellious child or a rebellious mate. Or they can be uh, aged parents who have begun to think more like children again rather than the adults that we had always known them to be. Whatever the situation is, it is allowed into your life for the purpose, by God, for the purpose of helping you to become a better person, a stronger faith, have a stronger spiritual walk. Sometimes the question that we need to ask is this. What lesson does God want to teach us that we would not learn any other way. You know, that makes me so angry at myself. You know what makes me so angry is the fact that there are some lessons that I will not learn any other way than for God to allow hardship in my life. That makes me so angry, and yet it is always the truth. Now, God doesn't have to do it this way. God doesn't have to teach us lessons by way of hardship. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, always sovereign. And so he could snap his fingers and change any one of us into a better person without having to go through the hardships. He could. Let's just face it. And I honestly, I wish he would do it that way. But you and I both know that that's not the way he does do it. Quite often, in fact, more often than any other way, God teaches us things through hardship, through the circumstances of our lives. Pastor and writer John Piper has noted that here is that there is a restful side to the Christian faith and there is a wrestling side to the Christian faith. A restful side, R-E-S-T, full, and there is a wrestling, W-R-E-S-T-L-I-N-G, He says this, he says, there's a restful side. Like when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a rest and peace that is available to every Christian. But there is also a wrestling, I should say a wrestling and struggling side. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The word strive there in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, is the Greek word agonizo, which means to agonize. Nowhere. In the scriptures is the Christian life described as a little tiptoed walk through the park. Nowhere. It's always described as a hardship, as a race, as a fight to be fought, as a wrestling match to be won. The Apostle Paul, in the last letter that we have recorded by him to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7, he says this, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race I have kept the faith. You see, keeping the faith is a fight to be fought. It is a race to be run. It is discipline 
to be endured. God disciplines us through our circumstances. And then the final question he asks is, what is our response to God's discipline? Perhaps this is the best question. And it is the hardest question. I have to admit to you that my default response to God's discipline is the wrong one. In fact, often we react wrongly toward God's discipline. In verse 5, the writer tells us that we can make light of God's discipline. Verse 5, he quotes Proverbs. He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. We could say, ah, it's nothing. Another response is that we could lose heart. Again, verse 5, in that Proverbs quote, he says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Don't lose heart and give up and just, just slow down and just bend out of, the, out of the lanes. We can lose heart. We can also become bitter. He says, do not allow yourself to have a root of bitterness. Don't allow a root of bitterness to grow up in you. We can become bitter when God disciplines us. Or we can see God's discipline as a sign of God's interest in us. And that's what I have to force myself and you must force yourself to do. Rather than take light of God's discipline, rather than than, uh, uh, lose heart in the middle of our crisis, rather than become bitter in in the face of adversity, we must have a different perspective on God's discipline and we must see it as a sign of God's interest in us. And so often I, I react to it the opposite way. I'll be in the middle of a crisis and I wonder where God is. I don't feel like God's anywhere around. And I cry out to him, God, where in the world are you? I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't hear you. You've left me out here all alone. What kind of God are you? And while those are honest feelings and honest responses, the real correct response after I get through with all my ranting and raving should be to settle back on my my good senses that God has given me and say, you know, my crisis is not evidence that God has left me. My crisis is evidence of God's interest in me. Discipline will do us no good if we react in the wrong ways. If we shake it off lightly, if we lose heart, if we become bitter because of the discipline, therefore it will not benefit us. That is why the writer in verse 12 tells us this. He says, strengthen your feeble arms and strengthen your weak knees. So let's go back to the Popeye cartoon. Can you imagine... I never saw this in a Popeye cartoon, but I always looked for it because I never did like spinach as a boy. I like it now. Didn't like it then. But I always looked for Popeye sometime to turn around and say, I'm done with the spinach. If I can't have, if I can't have a, uh, 
a piece of steak or if I can't have a Snickers bar or a Baby Ruth or a peanut butter cookie, I'm not eating any more spinach. He never did that. And if he had have done it, I'm sure that somewhere he would have heard the echoes of his mama, who I don't think I ever saw on Popeye Club, I don't know. But his mama, he would have heard the echoes of her voice saying, Well, son, if you throw away that spinach, you're throwing away the very thing that has historically made you strong. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. You can check out on God and on church and on God's people and on God's will for your life because of the hardships. You can. A lot of people do. But if you do, keep in mind, you'll be running away from the very thing that makes you strong. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, sometimes what you tell us is not really what we'd like to hear. We don't like to hear discipline. We don't like the feeling of a, of a struggle, a trial, a hardship, a bad time. We don't like living through nightmares that seem never to end health issues, relationship problems, job loss. Just out and out dark times that have no tangible reason for them. But Lord, help us to refocus and to get a new perspective on the, on the trials that you allow into our lives. Help us to see them as evidence that our God loves us so much that he's interested in us. And that He disciplines us. And that He loves us and He wants better things for us. Lord, we're entering the invitation time. It is the time more than any other time when people's lives are changed by Your Spirit. Lord, I pray that somebody in this room would come to receive You as their Savior. I pray that somebody in this room would come to join this church, either by baptism or by letter. Lord, I pray that somebody here would bring their struggles to this altar or their celebrations to this altar. I pray that Christians would rededicate themselves to you in this altar. And I pray that people would bring concerns to you that I don't know anything about and that I shouldn't know anything about because they're just between that person and you and I have no business knowing. Whatever the case, Lord, do something in people's lives beginning now. In Jesus' name, amen.